0: Hello and welcome to the Play On Podcast. We're going to be talking about a lot of things. Trust building, brand building, reputation building. And I think my co-host Stephen Armstrong could potentially be called an expert in all three.
1: Would you say that? No, no No one should call themselves an expert. (laughs) um, What I will say is, is I've definitely had lots of career experience in areas or industries that have had reputational challenges to overcome and... Uh, I would say certainly through the learns from those experiences, um, I've been able to uh, help other organizations and businesses uh, learn from those and, uh, you know, put systems and good practice into, uh, into place that has hopefully helped them to uh, build the reputations and safeguard those. So yeah, experience is a word I'd use more than expert. Well, that's a good transition because that's
0: exactly what we're speaking about today in terms of building and maintaining that strong brand reputation. What experience do you have personally doing that?
1: Um, I worked um, for a long time, um, you know, almost you know three decades in, a, in an industry. Um, let's call it quick service restaurant, um, QSR as it's more commonly known. Um, it used to be called fast food and you can sort of see there, there's an involvement of that. Um, just in the terminology that it's used. So again, these are all sort of little tricks of the trade that um, that help reputations to be built. Um, so, yeah, 30, odd year, 30 years of experience in all kinds of different um, roles, covering um, operations, customer facing roles, um, employee training roles, um, European roles in different markets, global roles, um, So, yeah, and the the fast food industry was um, probably the easiest or one of the easiest um, industries to beat up on. Um, Certainly after lots of success in the late 70s into the 80s, early 90s, from the mid 90s onwards, when um, people started to push back and resent successful organisations a lot more. And certainly today, that's even more magnified because of social media um, and clickbait press culture um, it's um, you know it's a lot tougher now but certainly back then the industry I was in was uh, had some huge challenges um, some of it you could argue um, the organization I work for didn't help itself um, but more often than not I think with these cases um, some of the stuff that gets leveled at organisations is, isn't, oh, it's not deserved. and But the reality of it is, is you know, uh, someone's perception is their reality, we all know that, and ultimately people believe what they see, what they hear, what they're told, and all these kind of things. What they read in, in newspapers, certainly what they read online now, certainly what they read on social media, where, you know, complete nonsense can get to millions of people in seconds. Um, so, you know, I think... Um, what businesses and organisations face today is a a stiffer challenge because of the size of the task that they're up against in terms of how these things can get magnified, but for me, the actual actions um, that are required to build trust in your client base and your employee base um, and your customer base, and then safeguard that through just good corporate practices, I don't think they're that different um, to, to what happened back in, in, you know, the previous couple of decades, as much as people get on about the fact that bad news can can travel fast, well, so can good news. Um, you know, at the end of the day, companies can't complain about the, the fact that social media um, can amplify bad news, even though that is true. The reality is, is it can also be used really, really effectively to channel good news and and to and to, you know, tell your own side of whatever whatever story it is you want to tell. So. Yeah, and I think um, certainly from that point of view, um, uh, I've, I've been through a lot myself, um, but I don't think it's as hard as people make it out to be to, to, to build trust and then safeguard it. I really don't think it's that difficult. What kind of steps would you
0: say that a lot of companies or brands tend to miss when they're trying to build that reputation? You see a lot of industries now continuously making things worse than themselves, arguably. How do you avoid doing that and
1: then improving it as well? I mean, you, you make a point about industries making it harder for themselves. The, the, the parallel I really always draw to that I look at and think, my, you know, that's almost identical to, to the end the challenge that the industry I was in faced. And it's always the biggest, most successful people in that industry cop for it worse, because they tend to be the ones who've either, um, they're considered to be either the most guilty of whatever it is that's caused that, or they actually are the ones who've had the most success out of it. The industry, I draw so many parallels to, to today's betting and gaming. Um, you know, betting and gaming is now the the, the most popular thing to beat up on, um, as was fast food in the sort of back end of the 80s into the 90s and, and you know, so on into the next decade. So I see so many parallels um, with that. In terms of... You know, how do you go about this? Well, you're always gonna have your opposers and that's just the way of life. But for me, you do two really, really critical things. If you've got employees and you've got customers, well, you've got ambassadors on your side. People are already on your side. Um, And good practices in around those areas are really, really important. And, you know, your trust building strategy for me starts internally. You know, you create a brilliant internal culture. Um, in how you manage your employment systems the, the, the people culture within your organization um, and then you allow that to sort of develop into them progressing from being employees to, to being sort of ambassadors of, of your brand or your industry or your organization um, and that 's a really good starting point um, that 's a really big important starting point and I think from that point of view then um, you've got a fighting chance of being able to help that transition across into your customer facing strategy as well and you know I used to talk a lot in the industry I was in about you know whatever culture we create will cross that that counter Um, and I don't think any you know even in an online business and obviously a lot of betting and gaming um, is online now there's still a relationship between service provider and and end user um, albeit You know a different one but there's still very very critical touch points where people can feel attached in some way shape or form to 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 an organization so you know for me those are two um really really critical uh things i think i'm not sitting here for one minute and saying we'll just do that and then do that and then you're sorted what i am saying is is if you do that and that you're going to go a long long way down this journey of trust building um that allows you to then be in a position to build on that. And because here's one thing you, if, 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 if you create a culture around you, people are gonna want to come and see whether what you're saying about yourself is true. Um, you know, if you run restaurants, for example, um, people are, you know, if you're, you're telling people you, that you do this and you do that, you know, you, you service standards are this, your, your restaurant maintenance and cleanliness standards are that. And the food is this, world-class standard of whether it be sourcing or production or um, people are going to come and find out for themselves. So your employees are really really important parts of being able to back up your your corporate story and it does amaze me how how little organizations try to make that transition of employee into sort of brand ambassador and listen you know you, you, your brand ambassador shouldn't just be senior management within the business Um, it should be of all levels. You know, some of the best brand ambassadors you can have. Um, Sometimes might be just part-time employees who have hooked onto your business for a part-time job, but, you know, they stayed with you for three or four years, learnt loads, and then went on to to build a good career somewhere else out of doing those things. So there's absolutely tons of stuff, but um, yeah, those are important. Well, one of the ways I think you can see the gambling industry's reputation
0: in some sort of crisis now is the way it's seen in shirt sponsorship especially in football now we're seeing less and less clubs choose to have gambling companies on their shirts with a potential ban coming
1: are they choosing them or are they feeling like they are under pressure to, yeah. but what they're
0: replacing them with a lot of the time is are these crypto trading platforms which as a core concept you're staking money to gain more it's very similar how do the gambling companies align themselves with these crypto and trading platforms and move away from this a reputation that's
1: now worth a potential national-wide ban. But, but again, that, that might be something that comes their way. You know, listen. Coming back to football, there's been football clubs, senior football clubs, notably, notably um, who've taken payday loan companies um, on their shirts, and not just respect, But I've seen, you know, some horror stories from those that are, that are on a par with. Listen, you can't escape the current profile around around betting and gaming. Um, because of the obvious the fact that the whole issue of responsibility around gambling is now as, as big a topic as it's ever been. Um, you know this um, House of Lords report from I think it was from February of 2020 that came out in the middle of the year in terms of its findings where it recommended um, banning advertising. Um, again there's a lot of noise around that and there's also um, a, a very very hungry media, again keen to promote wrongdoing or bad news or being seen to be, um, you know, on the side of the consumer. Um, and then obviously you've got the political side of it as well, where there are people who are actively using the gambling industry to, 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 to further political agendas. Um, now I'm not saying for one minute that there aren't challenges that the gambling industry cannot, um, you know that they can't ignore some of these things and but it's got to be balanced for me and you know the and, and i'll give you an example using the shirt sponsorship argument about balance you can't just ban it it's as simple as that you just cannot because the reality is is you know particularly in the post-covid era but even before covid because it's important i think people don't just start pointing the finger at covid and the pandemic yeah. for everything. There was a lot of stuff not right before that came in. Um, what COVID actually is, is potentially an opportunity to put a lot of those things on the right road again, but we'll see whether that happens or not. But bringing it back to sort of shirt sponsorship, fine, take all that money away from shirt sponsorship. Well, where does that get replaced from? Because football clubs aren't particularly profitable. Most of them are in debt. Most of them are carrying unbelievably high wage bills. Um, and significantly high running costs they've also been hit largely with things like you know stadium closures and um, in the same way other industries have so i think from our point of view, you know that point of view you, you can't just take away a significant source of income from from a business the other aspect that you've got you've got to think about bringing balance to this is this 100,000 people plus employed in that industry in the betting and gaming industry if you suddenly start preventing them from being able to to do certain things again that's going to impact on that side Um, so I just think it's all a little bit short term I I think it's all a little bit ill thought and I think instead of just saying ban it, why can't there be a more grown up way of dealing with this i.e. let's get the various parties around the table the question shouldn't be should it be banned or should it not be banned, the question should be how can betting and gaming and sport particularly football work better together so that they're able to invest in sport. Sport's able to realise the investment that comes into that sport and do good things with it. Because a lot of the challenges I think that, that great on people, not just in, in, in income that goes from the betting industry, income that comes from any commercial partner, because all, most fans are seeing, you know, and as someone who's been a season ticket holder and going to football matches and sports events for 40 plus years, I understand the, um, the relationship between sport and betting. But I get quite aggrieved when I see so much revenue coming into, into clubs and into sport and quite a lot of it going to, to one area, which is, which is player wages and that re- and transfer fees. And that really makes me, makes me physically ill, that. But I think what they've got to look at then is, is there's got to be some balance to this. How can betting, gaming, sport work well together so that they're able to fulfil their objectives, which is as a betting industry to be able to provide fun and entertainment, which is what it is um, and I'm not for one minute saying that there aren't people who develop you know addictions and problematic behavior as a result of that um, and that should be dealt with and the gambling industry and sport should be absolutely committed to doing that but the, the, the majority of people it, it is fun and entertaining so they, they should be allowed to pursue that if that's what they if that's what they choose to do with their time and their money um, but I also think that sport again should be allowed. To take investment from partners, um, partners who have demonstrated um, a strong reputation of having good values. And, you know, I think that it's important that we don't just talk about the industry. There was, you know, a situation recently with with a football club who, I think, without naming them, it's fair to say they didn't conduct a huge amount of research or due diligence on their potential betting partner, and that ended up ending fairly quickly. Um, but there are betting organisations out there who have got really great internal people. You know, Skybet, I'll, I'll name check. They've been in the, you know, the great places to work lists for as long as I can remember. Other, other betting operators have been in there. And they've got good internal cultures. They do lots of investment into sport and into communities. And, you know, I, I think there's just got to be a bit more balance brought to this. And there should just, if there's going to be critique of a business and an organisation, there's also got to be credit where it's due and it's also got to be balanced with if you're going to beat up on someone at least have the decency to recognize that either the things that they're doing well or the the journey that they're embarking on in recognition of a need for improvement and i think certainly when i look at the betting and gaming because one of the challenges that the organization i was in faced within an industry was it took such a long time for because you're you, you, you get you're almost tempted to fall into this trap of, well, we're getting beaten up here. We don't want to be then seen to be shouting about other things as a way of deflecting it. And what you end up doing then potentially is, is saying nothing. And if you say nothing, people will just shout louder um, and keep going on and on and on. And that's the challenge at the betting and gaming industry. For, for me, looking in from the outside, I don't think it's done enough to push back on some of the stuff it's been accused of. I'm yeah. not saying for one minute that, again it should have done a lot more in certain areas um, and it should be you know, continually challenged to do that, to make sure that harmful behaviour um, underage stuff um, I mean it's a, it's a heavily regulated industry now and you'd, you could argue that as much as online um, does have potential for um, people to, to get more involved and it become more accessible online actually I think gives the operators a much bigger chance of being able to actually spot where trends and patterns using data um, to be able to spot patterns and trends. So, you know, again, this is the balance piece. People bang on about online gambling can do this. Well, on, online gambling, I, I think, has potentially got as much, prob, probably more opportunity to spot um, where where harmful behaviour or problematic behaviour um, is taking place. So, you know, I think, again, the, the whole piece around balance to that But you know, I i think that sport and the betting industry um, and sport and all its commercial partners have got to find a way of being able to satisfy each party's objectives in this but the other critical component particularly where football is concerned i think it's the sport with the biggest emotional connection Um, and whether people like this or not a football fan might not necessarily be financially invested in the same way a director is who wants a return on his or her investment shares or dividends or whatever but they're very very emotionally involved to the point where they almost are the stakeholder you have to appeal to most and I think a lot of organisations who get involved in sport commercially miss so many tricks with how to position that relationship in and amongst the support community whether that be football um, or other sports. I think they miss some real, real easy wins there.
0: Because obviously you've got that emotional connection to your own club. You're not going to want to see a company use it to make profit. But all these companies are ultimately in business of making money. How do you kind of land with that fan community and not make it seem exploitative? What kind of methods are you use? Listen,
1: like I, I don't think people have huge issues with companies making money. I, I yeah. really don't. Um, and if you do have well, you know, don't go to any shop ever again, do not leave the front <laughs> door ever again, because the reality is whether you're, it doesn't All matter. You yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. So I think there's got to be an acceptance here that companies are out there to make to make money. Um, what absolutely should be debated is, is, what are the practices that these companies are using to drive revenue? Um, and I think you can have a whole separate debate around marketing, around advertising, and the positioning of some of that, um, I think absolutely you could have um, an argument about that. But again, the betting and gaming industry is getting pounded for for aggressive marketing. I understand why. I mean, a it's ultra competitive, and B, you know, their margins are very very small. Um, but I challenge people to go and have a wander around a supermarket. And that's, you'll see a more aggressive market in, in, in uh, <laughs> than anywhere. Every shelf will have a label on it telling you to buy this or points for that. Yeah, five, a it, quid. It's everywhere. Um, and, you know, I, I don't have a personal problem with it because I, mean, I, I feel as if I'm able to turn around and, and say, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Or yes, I do want to, to, to do that. And I, I just think the betting game industry gets, you know, I'm not saying for one minute that you know, the, the standards that they have to comply by, you know, you know, advertising standards agencies have very, very strict codes that they have to comply by. And you know, if you read their weekly or fortnightly summaries that come out of, of cases that have been complained about, um, the betting industry features in there fairly routinely, but yeah. then so do, other, so do other outlets. So I think what you've got to do though, is find ways of how does this relationship commercially help me as a supporter whether that be as a um you know a, a spectator or, or my match day experience um or you know if i go horse racing and it's heavily sponsored by a by a by a big a big operator are they doing something to to, to make my experience better and i think by and large sport and investment in sport uh, can can do that um, so but I think it's really, really important that when you have that emotional connection, um, and you know, uh, uh, there was, there, there's a, a well-known quote from somebody who was a very, very, you know, significantly important person within a big fast food operator or quick service restaurant who said, you know, for you to operate, you know, you can't operate in a community unless you're prepared to be part of it and contribute to that. And I think that got said probably back in the 50s or the 60s and I think that that statement is is absolutely true today um, how can people who are involved in commercial relationships, whether it's sport and betting or sport and anything um, the fans are always going to know is this adding any value to my to my experience and whilst businesses are going to make money people don't tend to like too much success and they don't like success if they think that greed is involved or manipulations involved and that's where I think a lot of organizations have got to be very 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 careful because if you see news stories about your profits are this and your margins to that and you've announced record bonuses for your management team again if these are all part and parcel of people's terms and conditions of their job um, I have no problem somebody being rewarded for working hard achieving targets and goals and objectives and KPIs and being given recognition for that. What sometimes doesn't sit right is this, if they see it as only one-way traffic. Um, And I think if you create an environment where people perceive it to be one-way traffic, you deserve everything you get. Um, And I don't think it takes too many, I don't think it takes too much sensible corporate strategy to actually be seen to be doing good things. And instead of X amount of profit going to the shareholders, would it really change the world in, at their end if X amount, a million of that got diverted into giving back to local communities making a difference into you know issues that are very, very topical or, or causes that matter to sports fans I don't think it'd um, I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world that they could do So you spoke a bit about fighting that you know, pushing back on some
0: of the negative press there's not been huge stories of the Gamblers are doing that but one way they've, they've tried to is with Safer Gambling Week, Responsible Gambling Week. Um, it's never really landed with as much effectiveness as I think they would have hoped. It's nice to see you know, a kind of united front from all the operators, but it's never really reached that kind of appreciation from the public. What kind of ways do you think they can improve that campaign to make it land better with, with betters?
1: Listen, there is nothing wrong. I, I, the perception that, that people, you, you, what you hear a lot, um around say for gambling week as it's now known is oh it's all right banging on about it for seven days but what about the other you know one week what about the other 51 um and again i that's the typical you know the the race to be outraged culture that exists on a lot of social media platforms i don't tend to go along with that because for me there is nothing wrong with i see it as an awareness week and an awareness building week that's there to help people adopt good practices throughout the rest of the year. You know, you sort of see it a lot in things like Road Safety Awareness Week, um, there's tons of stuff, there's tons of things that that happen that for me could also be like-for-like like, um, comparisons. So I don't think from our point of view um, that, that there's a big issue with that. It is ultimately an awareness building campaign um, that should then be built on to ensure that um, things throughout the rest of the year are, are stronger. So, personally, that's how I will position it, um, you know, I'll position it much, much stronger amongst the clientele and in the media that this is just simply we're drawing awareness this week of the things that we have available around our commitment to safer gambling, um, our tools and resources that are available to help players stay in a place where they continue to enjoy participating in, in betting and gaming, and I don't see I don't see anything wrong with that. But I think that's how you've got to position it. I think the other thing that's really really key is, you know, at the end of the day, data is telling you, the evidence is telling you, you know, the Gambling Commission survey will tell you that x amount of people still aren't aware of these tools, whether it be deposit limits, timeouts, or all these other things. People just aren't aware that they're there, um, and not only are people not aware of that, those that are aware that they're there are not using them. And I think what the industry's trying to do is just let people know how they can be used effectively and I don't see anything wrong with that. So I think they've just got to stick to their, um, to their guns on it, um, use it to build awareness that one week and then use the other 51 weeks a year to really drive home why, why it's important. Because certainly from my, I, I, one thing I absolutely know is the betting industry wants people to be able to carry on playing in a much more sustainable way because that's better for them in yep. like in any business a customer that's with you for the long term is a better is a better customer yeah um, you know and you know the the, the issue of brand loyalty um, that I think is very very difficult to establish in the betting industry you know that most people have multiple apps um, and will often Go and find an operator who might be um, able to provide them either a better user experience if they're playing online, or they might just like certain offers. They might like, you know, um, the fact that they might be able to get extended odds boosts or, or whatever. In the same way that some people will go to a supermarket because I can get more points or more buy one get them free than, than that supermarket where I don't get it. No different. One operator i guess you could call them within the betting and
0: gaming space that kind of transcends the poor reputation is the national lottery ultimately it is still gambling but it's seen so so differently obviously they give huge amounts back to good causes and china it's very transparent communications why do you think they're seen so differently than i'm not even part of the industry
1: anymore how do you think they've kind of moved away from that I mean the law is a good example Um, it it is different Um, it's in the same way that I I I mean just while you're on the subject betting and gaming are different and I think a a really important thing that betting you know sports betting unfortunately is getting caught up in online betting casino slots and all these other things that isn't doing it any favors sports suffering here because of the fact that it's now getting caught up in, and I think the betting and game industry would do very, very well to divorce those two things. Um, certainly in terms of how it markets and positions itself um, strategically. But you know, I don't work in that industry, that's not not, not my problem. Um, but you know, if a betting and oper- if a, if if an operator came to me and asked for my help and support in the whole piece around trust and reputation, I would certainly be encouraging activities in in that space. Um, but you know, the lottery have done just a really good job of a, making it not like betting. Um, And I mean, if you think back how it started, you know, I talk a lot about in any strategy, three phases, implement it, then embed it, and then accelerate it. Um, If you do those first two phases very, very well, you have a much, much better opportunity on that last phase. Um, I think the lottery, if you think about it, when it first started, I I think it was around 1994, um, maybe 95. um, I remember it um, being um, positioned as fun, entertaining. um, Literally the whole family was sat around um, the television watching it. um, You know, I know certainly in, um, you know, in our house that, you know, the, the kid, you know, I've seen kids being bought tickets. um um, and that's you know it it was positioned as fun um the next thing they did unbelievably well is is they allowed two things to become the narrative big wins giving back yeah um no one talks about how much to lose on the lottery no one talks about you know and and you look at the lottery you know it started off as as one draw a week um now i don't know i've not played it for probably 20 years myself. Multiple
0: uh, now, multiple weeks. Exactly,
1: and there's, there, there, they're all over, there's loads of draws, loads yeah. of different games. Um, you know, you go into a newsagent's and there's just rolls of scratch cards available yeah. to you. So, you can sponsor
0: Aldi now, they're at the checkouts.
1: Uh, do you know, and listen, that is again as another example of how that's really gone from being that into something that's now yeah. absolutely huge. And again, yeah. I understand the need for competition and um, the need for, um, you know, I know a lot of operators themselves have got their own version of online um, sort of lotteries now, mini versions of it. And again, um, it's just become an ultra competitive environment. And that's the challenge you have sometimes when you end up in an environment that's ultra competitive. You then, you know, and particularly if you're in a business that's answerable to shareholders, or you're in a business that really is hell bent on beating whatever targets or KPIs that were set in last quarter, this quarter, and then next year and the year after, it becomes this continual chase. Um, that's very, very difficult to to, to get out of once you're on that journey. Um, and I think the lottery, um, has even still to this day, it is still known for those two sort of big things. And, um, as I think, I look at the lottery now, again, my, my, my opinion as a, as a consumer looking in more than anything else. Um, I think it's done pretty much what most betting and gaming operators have done. Um, you know, it's aggressively marketed, it's offered more product and it's, it's rammed it down, down people's throats a little bit. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing, um, but what I'm saying is that because they had such a strong implementation strategy and embedded this messaging of Big wins, yeah. life-changing sums of money, and giving back to good causes. Um, I just think it's, all, it's got such a strong reputation for those things that that noise there will always supersede that. the noise that, yeah. that comes from any other accusations that they may get. And they've had it, you know, they've they've just had to bump the age up from 16 yeah. to 18. So, yeah, so I believe that that go
0: back down there is talk of it already going back down i believe
1: well because of impact on revenue and, and listen you get that i mean look we talked about shirt sponsorship before was it italy um, yeah yeah called it. for the ban. what a great idea and then the here they are now instead. begging begging people yeah. to, if we can have it back And spain's now just called for the ban. thing to do yeah. um you know if you have to ban something it's because you feel that you cannot change that behavior yeah. you know i've said it in work professional life you do the lowest form of sanction that changes behaviour yeah. um, because it's just simpler and easier to do that. Yeah. Um, and if banning is the last resort, absolutely, it should be a last resort. I just think it's becoming a very early doors resort at the minute because it suits certain agendas and that's just not fair. And I think that's something that should be pushed back on. But yeah, you know, I think reput- the lottery is a classic example of how a strong reputational built on doing good things that can last you a long, long time. I think there's other good examples as well. You look at like Coke. I don't think anyone will be, you know,
0: quick to fight the corner of coping a healthy drink, but I think the brand messaging has always been around. It's a good time at a bottle, it's happiness, it's, you know, living your best life with a drink. How important are you know, is setting up that communication early when it comes to building that reputation?
1: That that's, that's the logos and brand identities and all these other slogans, I think, um, are very, very much part of, you know, marketing, soft marketing strategies. Yeah. Um, Whereas, for me, trust and reputational stuff, um, people are more likely to listen to that if they have a strong level of trust in your brand. Yeah. Um, and trust in your brand can come from, you know, personal experiences of, of being a customer of it, um, but ultimately, recognition of the things that, that, that you do well and, and contribute. Um, you know, you'd like to think that, um, you know, again, you could argue that, yeah, Coca-Cola might not be you know as a, as a the red can drink yeah um yeah we know that it's got x amount of sugar in it and x amount of calories in the can, but you could argue that diet coke I think diet coke's a bigger brand yeah um and then you've got coke zero now and then you did, they did the green thing the caffeine one you know they've done tons of stuff that that again people recognize that there are always going to be people who want the red can but there are always going to be people who say no actually i want a lighter, a lighter version and what the business had the choice of doing was either doing nothing and just saying, no, it's our way or, or, or nothing, yeah. or it can evolve and adapt to, to, the, to the ever-changing needs of, of, of the consumers. As I said, I worked in fast industry, you know, burgers and chips and milkshakes and fizzy drinks. You look at how that's evolved in, in certainly the last 15 or so years, particularly around nutrition and labelling, um, having lighter options, you know, salads and um, raps and all these other things have crept into that industry, yeah. um, if you'd have said to me when I joined that industry in the sort of late 80s that fast forward 20 years and all this will be on the menu, I'd have gone nah, no chance, but the reality is, is and this thing, people should have the choice um, available to them, And I think that's the challenge that you know, and this is where again bringing it back to betting, again, you know operators are giving people the opportunity to, to make choices here um, and there's got to be some accountability taken there by, by people who participate. Um, you know, I think there's got to be elements of that. Everybody's got, usually in a any kind of relationship, everybody's got their own part to play in that. And I think, you know, betting and gaming, yes, operators have got lots more to do and lots to improve on. Um, and certainly there are certain practices that probably existed in and around the way things were marketed, the way that VIP players were sort of. Um, encouraged to do to do more if they could Um, all of that's kind of having to stop now Um, and i don't necessarily see that as a negative thing because if it helps organizations cotton on to the fact that to be successful going forward it's got to be built you know we've talked before trust is an absolute cornerstone value now if you want to be successful going forward as a business trust is a cornerstone value and you've got to build everything around that yeah, I think we'll have an entire
0: separate episode on kind of that building trust and how to do it with you know, transparency in itself. But it, you talked about adapting to trends and adapting to, to the current market. How quickly do brands have to adapt now in order to keep that reputation alive?
1: I think you've got to be careful of... I mean, look, there are certain situations where you've got to adapt like that. Um, you know. But there are also certain times where I think you've got to be... If you've got a good strategy and it's been well thought out, and well researched and the cascade of it internally to the point where your people are very, very committed to it, um, are all aligned, then from my point of view, um, I think you should stick to that um, and not be making knee-jerk decisions. Um, If you've got a good, well thought foundation within your organisation and a strong strategy, by all means, tweak it. By all means, diversify a little bit or change course a little bit. But if you've got a strong strategy, you should stick to that.
0: Well, I think we'll leave that there then for today. We'll come back next time to discuss more. But thank you very much for your time today. Your we'll see you guys for the next time.